One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome back to Wellness with Lizelle and I am so delighted to be welcoming into the studios today a very old friend, Andrea McLean, the glamorously familiar face on our TV screens from Loose Women and the early GMTV days where she and I first met more than 20 years ago. Hard to believe, I know. And alongside her broadcasting career, Andrea has detailed her very personal experience of the menopause in her book, Confessions of a Menopausal Woman. And she continues to be vocal on the need for candid conversations about this stage of life. Welcome. That makes me sound great. I really <laughs> you like are great. <laughs> I can't believe that we haven't actually seen each other for, we were just working out about 20 years. Yeah, and it feels like five minutes. That's great, isn't it? That's and the thing we've about We've been busy. Friends. We have been doing a few things. Yeah. Yeah, both yeah, of us, yeah. one or two. How long have you been on Loose Women there? Uh, it will be 12 years at the beginning of next year. Gosh. And I was at GMTV for 11 years. There was an overlap for a little while. Yes. And, well, you'll remember getting up at silly o'clock and yeah. then I would do it one job killer. and go straight on to another <sighs> job. And uh, I couldn't do it. So I did a year of both and then yes. I left that one and, yeah. and went to lose them in, which I love. It's a, It's one of the best jobs on telly. It's it's a lot of fun. You look as yeah. though you are all having a, a good bond as well, a good sort of sisterhood. We genuinely get on. Mm. And I think that's the thing that, you know, the papers always try and sort of make out women feuding. But actually, <laughs> it's this rare friendship group where you are completely allowed to disagree with each other. Yeah. And then afterwards we'll go, well, that was good. You yes. Know, that was Isn't good. that the, great, the best thing? Yeah, we're, we're that's all how you know our true own friends. people. We go on holiday together. We support each other and any endeavours that, you know, each other does. My job really is to, it's like herding cats and toddlers. Mm-hmm. That's how I see it. I just have to, you know, right, enough now. Stop, you're just being Do you silly. each play a role? Do you have a sort of a personality within the show that yes. each of you takes a role? And what's yours? I'm like head girl. Are I'm you? I'm like head prefect. And I quite like that <laughs> because I realised uh, over, over the years, when I was first offered the job, I actually turned it down because I thought they meant to be a panelist, and I thought I'm not a, I'm not a confrontational person. I, I'm not incredibly, I'm assertive in my own way, but I'm I'm not going to shout someone down. If you really want to believe that, I'm happy to let you believe Fine. that. I'm not going to try and shout at you. Um, and then they said, no, we'd like you to be the the anchor, be the host, and that suits me really well because I prefer to listen mm. and just jog things along and make mm-hmm. sure everybody's had their fair go and people write and that sort of thing yeah. but I, I think they're incredible because I couldn't do what they do yes they're so opinionated I've I'm and fearless yes and they genuinely don't care if what they say ruffles feathers because what's it's mm. what they believe and that's why I think Lucy Min is the best job in telly because especially in this day and age yeah. people are incredibly frightened to say anything that's even if what they say is not controversial, but if it can yeah. be twisted, yeah, um, what have you, Tell me. Um, the women are amazing. They really. So are. how did it start for you? How did you get into TV? By accident. I was a print journalist. I, I read somewhere that you were a travel writer, is that right? Yeah, I started off, I, I, basically I went backpacking for a year and I wrote all about it and then I came back and I hounded the local paper until they would let me write, well I, basically I worked for them for free. And uh, and then I said, look, I've got all these notes. I've kept so much information on my travels. Shall I be your travel correspondent? So they paid me £15 an article. And I had a full page once a week or whatever it was. Um, Andrew McLean, the travel correspondent, and literally for 15 quid a go. Oh, and I gave them everything. <laughs> but it was 
I loved it because it meant I then had something to send off to other places. Sure. Yeah. Then I applied to uh, be a, a a journalist on the on the local paper, and they turned me down because I didn't have a postgrad in journalism. I had a degree in history and politics, but I didn't have a postgrad in. I said, but I'm writing for you already. You clearly like what I do. No. Nope. So I thought, all right, stuff you. So I got a student loan, uh, packed everything I owned in the back of the car and uh, my mum's old Fiesta. I moved to London and went to journalism college, lived in a bedsit, worked for free, got a job. Good and um, about the time that I became a weather presenter was mm. because I'd been promoted to be production editor. And what that means is it takes you away from writing. You're overseeing mm. everyone and making sure mm -hmm. the copy's coming in. And I wasn't enjoying it so much. And I misread an advert and ended up applying to be a weather presenter, which I thought was hilarious when I found out what, <laughs> what it was. And on the day of that interview, um, I had an interview in the morning to work for Just 17 magazine. That's how long ago this was. And that afternoon was the weather job. And I remember walking out thinking, I've got the wrong job. I, I just could feel it in my wardrobe yes. that I was going to be offered it. Yes. I ended up, uh, it was for the Weather Channel, and I worked for the yeah. Weather Channel for a year, 18 months. Then I got made redundant, and what was a really awful thing, because I'd never been made redundant before, mm. turned out to be the absolute crossroads of my life. I ended up on GMTV. Yeah. Uh, I let them know that actually I'm a journalist, and they let me do reporting and Extra all things. Well, I remember... I think we were saying earlier that one of the last times we met was on the slopes in... Crans Montana. In, was it Crans Montana? Yeah. With Sir Roger Moore. Mm. And I remember having to go up in a balloon and talking to the producer about this, this thing, and he said... And then I looked at the script and it said... Um, just it, it says, Liz, from balloon. I said, what, what sort of balloon would that be? And he said, well, that, yeah, that great big balloon. I said, you, need, you do know that I'm terrified of heights. Did you and do it? I did it, and it was sort of tethered to the ground, and it was, you know, like being in this sort of laundry basket suspended <laughs> from a skyscraper. It was absolutely beyond <laughs> paralysed with fear. But I do remember you, and there was another chap there doing weather whose name... Oh, Simon. Simon, exactly. Yeah. And, and Sir Roger Moore just yeah. being this incredibly charming <laughs> older man, very sort of grand and glamorous and generous and in this red ski earth. suit. Yes, completely. Yeah. I think he was talking about UNICEF and, yeah. and his work there. So. He stayed behind after we finished and had breakfast with all the crew. We all sat with him um, and Fabulous. a lot of the camera boys and, and all that. We yeah. just sat enthralled as... Roger Moore told us about yeah. what being Bond was like. It was amazing. What I'm sad about those early days is that we didn't have the, the phones and the cameras. Nobody really took pictures, yeah. and there were just such few I don't memories any. of those early times. Yeah, yeah, they're all in here, though. They're, they're in all, their head. They're all in, the, they're all in the head. <laughs> well, you know, one of my main memories from that trip was the hotel we stayed in. The walls were so thin. Uh, Simon, the other weatherman, was having a bath on one side of the wall, and I was having a bath on the other. And I only realised because... You know, it, you could, I could hear him splashing. So I banged on the wall and he was like, hello? And I said, it's Andrea. <laughs> and the two of us lying side by side in our... Oh, that is so a, funny. It was very, very... I was like, D this feels quite weird. Yes. Quite weird. I'm going to get out now. <laughs> yes, don't look. <laughs> yeah, don't make any noise. Yeah, turn away. So fast forward now and you've obviously got this extraordinary wonderful career and you're really using that as a platform to talk about the sort of hormonal hot topics that yeah. we don't talk about I have read your book and it, it took me by surprise because I was you know to be honest I was a bit sort of meh when I first thought oh another book you mm. know what's this going to be about but you have really nailed it in terms of sharing an intensely personal journey and we'll come on to all sorts of different aspects because you talk not only about menopause but perimenopause postnatal depression endometriosis hysterectomy you know you really you are a one-woman guide aren't you to all things gynecological uh, <laughs> and have this very strong clear voice so obviously your journalistic training comes through there but for you it seems to have started hormonal issues in even way back in teenage years with your skin was that the yeah. first indication that hormones were going to be a, a big part of your life yeah um uh, th that's where I kind of start the book as well in terms of the, the hormonal journey because I think it's really important that you you look back to understand where you are now and because every everything has happened for a, a reason you don't suddenly end up having endometriosis or feeling hormonal or, or, or what have you and for me it was incredible acne I mean it was spectacular hard to believe now because sitting here your skin is beautifully clear I'm very lucky actually I didn't um 
I didn't my skin didn't pit it could have pitted um, and but but it didn't my main problem now is pigmentation and again that's all hormone hormone based but from the age of about 15 uh, when my I guess I was entering puberty and everything else and, and that was when it, it all started I then began a skincare regime that I have kept up ever since because for me it made sense that you watch you watch what you eat and you watch what you put on your face Absolutely. so for me it's been sort of ingrained I, mm. I naturally drink herbal teas drink right. a lot of water yeah uh, do you use never... retinol or retinoid products um, you prescribe retin-a for acne I was then I was prescribed uh I can't remember what it's called. It's it a real Accutane or yes. something, possibly. Yeah. Yes. It did not work well with my skin. Right. It made it incredibly sensitive. It mm. peeled. It went very, very red. What I actually found worked well for me was the contraceptive pill. Um, right. And I know that now some doctors prescribe that to, to younger yeah. girls for yeah. because of their skin. I went on it. I was nearly 19 and I went on it because I had a boyfriend right. and the side effect was wow great skin. I actually have amazing skin and I realized then that actually that was clearly a hormone mm. I mean I knew it was a hormone thing but that it was something that could be treated not just topically mm. uh, but internally as well so for me um the the contraceptive pill I think disguised a lot of hormonal imbalances that yeah. I had for a good chunk of my time because you were, what, 28 when endometriosis really sort of took hold? I was 28 when I was or when you were diagnosed. diagnosed. Mm -hmm. The symptoms of endometriosis I'd had my whole adult, young adult life. I just didn't know any better because you don't talk about it. You don't talk about um, extreme pain. You don't mm. talk about pain after sex you don't talk about um everyone says oh i've got my period and it really hurts but w what is your barometer of hurts sure how you do know? you know what somebody how... else's pain is exactly <laughs> and uh for me it was when that pain didn't go away it wasn't just a monthly thing and it, it was there all the time it was extremely sore after sex and so i, I went to a, a gynecologist had a laparoscopy and they basically told me that um I had severe endometriosis, so much so that only one of my tubes was functioning and that I had cysts on my ovaries as well and that the chance of having children was... Uh, there's a bit in the book where I, I put it, you know, I sat in front of this man who was dressed in an ill-judged bow tie um, and <laughs> he told me really frankly, well, you know, frankly, my dear, it's going to take a miracle. And he said it's so blasé as oh, if gosh, I just worn the wrong colour dress that Day. Yeah. And I remember walking a throwaway home. line that's shattering, yeah. potentially life changing. And it's something we hear all the time as women, and we just accept mm. the body blow and nod and walk out and mm. then figure out ourselves. And this is something I know we feel very strongly about. It's just wrong. Yeah. You, yeah. Women need to be treated more kindly than this. Absolutely. So, what happened from that? Did you think that's it? I'm not going to have children, or did you think I'm going to do whatever I can to have a child? I did what I always do when I get given news that uh, you can't do that. And I think, well, yes, I can. I'm just going to find a way around it. You know, I might not have got that job, but I'm going to find a way around it. I'll do something else instead. Um, I mean, that makes it sound very jolly. And it, it was a very difficult time. Mm. Um, uh, I was, I basically sat down with my, my boyfriend. I'd been together for 11 years at that point. And I said, uh, I've just been told I can't have children. And I want to have children, and I want to be married to have children. Mm. And if I don't start soon, because I don't know how long it's going to take, yes, um, uh, uh, you know, I might run out of time. So ideally, we need to get married sooner rather than later. And this poor man, when I think about it now, <laughs> I was quite, and that's what's going to happen. And he just went, I don't want to get married. And I looked at him. But we've been together for 11 years. How do you not you, want to marry why me? Why do you not want to marry me? And it was a bit of a Harry Met Sally moment, and I should have known then, actually. So what happened? Did you marry him? We did get married, mm. and I then uh, started trying naturally, and it didn't work. And then um, I went back to said man in bow tie, right. who actually turned out to be incredibly nice. Mm. He just had an unfortunate manner sometimes. Right. <laughs> and... He put me on fertility drugs. Right. So I was on Clomid for mm -hmm. uh, a good while. And that's very strange. If anyone mm. has been through fertility treatment, we'll, we'll, this will resonate with them. But uh, anyone who hasn't, to try and describe what it feels like, 
you can feel your blood pumping around your body and you can feel the whoosh as it goes around. It's the strangest thing. You all the time? Pretty much all the time. For me, it was all the time. Maybe not everyone Gosh. else. I could feel, I felt like everything was pumping. It was the <laughs> strangest feeling. Uh, you feel almost giddy. Mm. You have, it, it's a very, very strange feeling. It's mm. not normal. It's not natural. How long did you have to take it for? I can't remember now how long I took it for. Maybe eight, nine months, something like that. And what it was, was I would, this was the days of, I don't even know if mobile phones were invented then, never mind apps. So I used to keep notes in my diary and put circles around when my period was due, when it actually came and add So add ov ovulation, that. when's a good time, rush home. All of that. And again, my poor husband, he was, I was working at GMTV, he was working normal hours and I'd literally, I'd have made his tea, put it in the oven mm. And he'd come in, and I'd go, Hi, um, could you just pop upstairs just for two minutes? Two minutes. I really want to take on. And he's like, oh, I've had a really hard day. Can I just have dinner? Well, I really need to get to sleep. So if you yes. really don't mind. And I could hear him kind of trudging up the stairs, oh. like, oh, okay. And um, so then we would do what you need to do to try and make a baby. And i go, thank you, dinner's in the oven. And flip round and put my legs up in the air on the wall and he literally would look at me like this is not how it's supposed to be no and oh, um <laughs> eventually it worked and yes. I did I, I was very lucky I was literally a couple of months away from having full IVF treatment mm. um they said right we'll give it a little bit longer and I managed to fall pregnant naturally which was amazing and Great. I have my lovely son how old now, is he now he's he'll be 17 next month mm. So and then he went on to have another child. Very strangely. Um, Same husband? No. Oh, okay. No. I, by, if I'm really honest, I think that the, the stress of I wanted to have a baby, to put that pressure on a marriage is mm. incredibly intense unless both of you are on the same page. Yeah. So with hindsight, I can see that now. At the time when you're in it, you can't necessarily sure. see how driven you are and perhaps you are being... Not entirely reasonable. And so I, I see that now and I, I accept that now. Um, so, no, I I ended up... I was in a different relationship. I wasn't remarried. I got married mm -hmm. after my daughter was born. Mm -hmm. But, uh, no, I, I told him, oh, it's fine. I can't have children. <laughs> It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be totally fine. And then uh, we'd been together for about a year. It wasn't like a, a, a terribly new thing. We'd sort of broken up, split up, got back together. It was... Mm. It, you know, it wasn't a plain sailing relationship. And I remember we were um, we were sitting in a pub, actually not far from here. And we'd, I think we'd been out with friends or something the night before. And I remember we were sitting there and I said, it really smells in here. Can you not smell that? Oh, and you that went, no, I can't, I can't smell anything. And then the food came and I went, oh my God, how can you even eat that? And then I literally stopped <gasps> in my tracks, grabbed my boobs, went, <laughs> Oh dear. We need to go to a chemist now. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, can I at least finish my food? And it was a Sunday and we were driving oh. around trying to find a chemist that was open. And we got back and I ran upstairs, shaking, thinking, what? And I was, I was pregnant. Really? And it happened completely naturally and not planned. And I came downstairs and said, remember when I said it would take a miracle? Mm -hmm. Ta-da! <laughs> That's what's happened. And it, uh. that's quite a... Again, quite a tricky thing in a sure. relationship when it hasn't been even spoken yeah. about. Or so you got like married. That. We got married. Yeah. Um, uh, sadly, that that didn't work out uh, either. What what I'm really lucky about is actually I still have very good relationships with mm. with both of them. I have children yeah. by by the, the the two men in my life or who were in my life. I have a new man in my life, um, and that that is all good. And the way yeah. I, the way I see it is that these children were meant to be born. Sure. Clearly. In whatever way, mm. one was through, you know, treatment, one was <laughs> not spontaneous. Was spontaneous. Yeah. These amazing human beings were meant mm. to be born. But tell me about your postnatal depression, because you also write about that in the book. And is that something that affected you after both pregnancies or just Interestingly, just it was a second one. Mm. But I think there was a lot more at play. It wasn't just a hormonal imbalance. It... it definitely played a huge part um and how old were you then i well, well gosh 
I'm 49. She's nearly 12. Right, uh, okay. Th- th- so just under 40 Right, yeah. Yeah. I can't remember now, 38, 39. And it... I'd had episodes before of, of darkness, mm. but they'd passed. But this was sustained. And the... And I'd, I'd had anxiety before... Uh, interestingly, that was something that I will we'll speak about in a bit because that massively reared its head with with the menopause. This was um, it was an all encompassing hopelessness and darkness, and I felt I felt like a failure in every way. I felt that nothing. When you're I, so far from that, you can't see it. No, oh no, couldn't. Was see it immediately it after having had her? How, how long did it take for? Uh, weeks. It it. it was fairly immediate. It mm-hmm. wasn't, uh, you know... Like, did it come on suddenly, or did you suddenly just wake up with a black cloud, or was it? did it creep it, up it on crept, you? It crept on. And obviously, when you have a have a new baby, you're tired and all this sort of stuff, sure. so you, you don't know whether your 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 head is, is cloudy and your thoughts are dark through absolute sleep deprivation, mm-hmm. which, is a, which is a thing. And also, I went back to work after uh, 12 weeks. I went back to GMTV, mm. and that same week I started Lou Simmons. So I was doing two <laughs> jobs with a new baby uh, and a five-year-old and a partner who was shell-shocked that suddenly we didn't even live together while I was pregnant. Gosh. We hadn't even got to that point so yet. So this woman who said, I'm, I can't get pregnant, is suddenly, suddenly delivered him yeah. a daughter. <laughs> it wasn't expecting. Yeah, and we moved house. So we moved out oh, of London what? and moved out to the countryside. So I didn't have any of my normal support network with yeah. me because all my antenatal friends that I'd had with my mm. first child, they they weren't there anymore. Uh, plus doing two jobs, da, da, da. all of it makes sense. It's completely understandable mm. why I would feel exhausted and everything else. So the exhaustion was logical to yeah. me. Um, the darkness wasn't randomly at the time. I It made perfect sense to me. But I also think I was coming to terms with a lot of... The, the depression for me was triggered hormonally mm-hmm. and postnatally yeah. but I also think that I was coming to terms with the end of my first marriage right. and the situation that I was now in mm. and I'm I'm an incredibly optimistic person and I make the best of anything whatever you know give me lemons I will give you lemonade I am just <laughs> that naturally that kind mm. of person so I was on the outside trying to make everything right and please everybody and make sure everybody was okay um, but my quiet still moments nothing was okay so how did you get help for that well was it picked up by a gp or no no i i hid it because there was a shame attached to it and also there was a belief that i had brought it all on myself anyway by trying to do too much or everything yeah and life choices you know Mm -hmm. well look at you you're now you look at the situation that, that you're in yeah um so I just thought, I just need to fix this. And I mentioned it really quietly once mm. to um, the, the, the father of my daughter. And his reaction wasn't great. Okay. And I, I backed right off and went, no, no, right. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry I mentioned yeah, it. No, yeah. it's completely yeah. fine. It, what am nothing. I thinking about? Mm-hmm. No, it's totally nothing. And he was very anti the idea of going to get any helps. He said antidepressants, they ruin you and don't even do that. Mm. And so in my head I thought right okay so I just didn't tell him and I went to the doctor and cried mm. and said I'm feeling like this and she was a great GP actually mm. she she gave me more than my allocated 10 minutes and said tell me a little bit about what's going on in your life and I basically went and I told her <laughs> it, all, it all came out and she said I'm not surprised you're depressed yeah. and it's not you you have postnatal depression, but really yeah. you're dealing with a lot of stuff and you can't do it on your own. So she put me on antidepressants. Mm. And what I thought was I won't tell anyone and I'll just see if anybody notices because yes. I know how I feel in my own head, but it has my behavior changed in such a way that people will notice that mm. I'm getting better. And I'll use that as a barometer because I think and if I they? tell people, then they'll just yeah, go, they'll, okay. they'll know. Yeah. 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 Did they? What, sort of, what sort of changes did they see in you? It was like a light came back on. Right. For me, it felt like, you know, when you look at a fuse box and one of the switches is down mm. and then you switch it back up again and suddenly the lights come on. It was yeah. it was as clear cut as that. What were you taking? 
Uh, fluoxetine. Right. Fluoxetine, yeah. fluoxetone. Which they actually sometimes give now for menopause, which we can talk yes. about incorrectly. But obviously here it was given to you correctly. with the correct diagnosis yeah. for depression. And how Very long did you dose. take it? I took it for about um, four years. Gosh. And were you worried about years. coming off it? I mean, it, how easy? Is it an addictive drug? I figured I would come off it when it felt right for me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not an addictive personality, so yeah. I knew that once I'd got to a place where I felt like, right, okay, I'm ready to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did feel numb. I did feel that there was a certain lack of sensation, is yeah. the best way to, to put it, mentally and physically. I, but but I was okay with that because mm. that was much better than where I was before. Okay. But what's interesting was I chose to come off it right in the middle of getting divorced. So we had got married. So you went we... through the four years of this of this sort of numbing when yeah. you you got remarried and you were you know your career was really taking off. You yeah, had these yeah. amazing young children. Yeah. And then you came off it. Yeah. Did you go cold turkey? No, no, not at all. And I didn't even uh, tell the doctors that I was going to come off it. I carried on getting my prescription. But I just thought, be sensible with this. This has been in your system. It clearly works. And it's clearly Mm. working on an imbalance in your brain and in your Mm -hmm. body. So do not put it into any kind of shock. You don't know what might happen. So it probably took me, I don't know, six months, maybe longer and I started instead of every day I take them every other other day and I did that for a very long time Mm -hmm. then I did every other other day Mm -hmm. and then every other other day and then it was once a week and it I very I tiptoed away from antidepressants Mm. and what did you replace it with did it leave a hole in your life that you needed filling um well what was very interesting was I came off then and realized that to backtrack a little bit um, my mum went through the menopause at 40 and so I had already had it in my head that I was probably going to go through it early. Uh, when I was around the time, just before I got pregnant, I was 37 I think, I had started having night sweats, not feeling quite myself and all this. So for mm. me there were little flags were up where I thought, okay, I'm, I think I'm starting to be perimenopausal. I had a word with lovely Dr. Hillary, mm-hmm. as you know. Yes. Anyone who worked at GMTV or GMB... Would always go and have a quiet word with Dr. Hillary. The poor man has a cue, I know. <laughs> there are people showing Even parts now. of their bodies that he doesn't want to see. <laughs> I didn't show him anything, I just had a chat. And he said, well, you could be, you know, it could be that. Just yeah. keep an eye on it. Actually, what happened for me was I got pregnant and I had a last sort of rush of hormones and yeah. I, I, I got Similar pregnant. Similar to me. Mm. And it was, I, I genuinely think that was my last, my body's mm. last hurrah. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I came off the antidepressants, there was a part of me wanted to know if how I was feeling, uh, obviously I was, I was low, I was anxious, I was stressed. You're in the middle of a divorce. I'm in the middle of a divorce. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to know if these feelings were because of that or was I starting to go through the menopause? There was a bit, a lot of stuff going around sure. in my head. And I'm quite a logical person. I thought, well, I just need to... There's no point going to the doctors, because they'll just... They won't know. I'll know. Yeah. So yeah. I, that was what I did. And as soon as uh, I came off, the night sweats kicked in. Then it was crushing, crushing anxiety, which... Uh, I still have now, even mm. um, on HRT. It's not mm. totally gone yeah. away. Um, and mood swings. I'm right. a very steady Eddie. I've yeah. always been quite a steady Eddie. I can I can see both sides of an argument. Mm-hmm. I don't tend to flare up. I was flaring up over everything. I mean, kids are quite annoying. But, yes. you know, I was finding them really quite annoying. And even they were, I could see it in their face that they were looking at me like, What's happening? And to be honest, it was yeah. the look on their face that made me realise I need to do something about this because this is not fair on them. Mm. And uh, so I went, around that time, I was having, I had a Mirena coil. Mm-hmm. I went to get it changed. And <laughs> it got stuck. Oh, uh, you poor thing. That's, a, that's an interesting experience. That's not, not no, comfortable. No, mm. And after a lot of huffing and puffing and, and tugging and teeth gritting and the poor, <laughs> the nice GP that I'd been to. And eventually she just kind of went, I can't get it out. I can't get it out. You're going to have to go and see this other lady who she specialises in gynaecological issues mm. and all this sort of stuff. She changed my life, basically. Uh, she, I don't know what she did. She's very good at twiddling. She just went, <laughs> and out it came. It was all good and she changed it. It was all fine. 
And uh, we started chatting just about my general health and everything mm. else. And she said, I, I'm 100% sure you are perimenopausal. I can, um, she had a little look and she... Mm -hmm. How old were you this time? Through. I was 42, 43. Okay, so pretty Ish. early. Yeah, but... Ish, but Ish. I mean, not, not ridiculously early. Yeah, yeah. On the earlier side. And she just put me on a, on a really low dose of um, uh, estrogen gel. Yes. I've only ever taken uh, topically applied yes. yeah. HRT. I've never so when she mentioned HRT, so obviously for those of you who, who are listening, you probably know um, because you will have listened to many things about menopause here, that the Mirena coil provides the progesterone or the progestogen yeah. part of HRT. Um, and then you can then top that up with the oestrogen. Yeah. So when she said to you, HRT, did you think, given your journalistic background, ooh, that sounds a bit scary. Do I, do mm. I need to know? Tell me about the risks. No, I grabbed it out you of did her you? house. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, because my mum had been on HRT. Right. And I do think that we instinctively... <clears throat> whether we we rebel or follow we are influenced by our mothers mm. and she had a great experience with it mm. and she'd we hadn't necessarily talked about the menopause but we had talked about her experience with HRT and she she had told me that again when she was 40 and this was in the 80s so again information was even less than, sure, than we have now and um she went to see her her GP and Interesting, she had the same symptoms as me, irritable, snappy, not my mum at all. My mum mm -hmm. and I are very similar. And uh, uh, in fact, there's, there's, there's one moment where my parents are very Scottish and my dad is very, very Scottish. And we were driving along in the car and my mum was raging, just raging about something. And uh, I remember she just folded her arms and looked out the window really huffily. And my parents don't argue, you know, it's very... You know, my dad might shout at us all, but they yeah. don't argue. And uh, he pulled over, and my sister and I are in the back seat of the car, and he just said, girls, your mum's going through the change. <laughs> You're going to need to be patient. And we went, okay, <laughs> what's this? And mum said she'd been to the doctors around about that time mm. who just said, you're just getting old. Yeah, You're just getting old. It's just what you're going to have to live with. And she was... Oh, that she, oh, this cannot mm. be right. Coincidentally, my dad changed jobs. We moved house, moved to a different area, and she got a new GP. Yeah, it's all down to the GP, isn't it? And, and how educated they yeah. are in, in this and area. And she instantly of went, Oh, you're menopausal, yeah. and put her on HRT. And my mum said, Within weeks, her life changed. Yeah. And for me, all I noticed was I got my mum back. Mm. So in my head, when yeah. my doctor said, We're going to put you on HRT, I thought, Brilliant. Yeah. Great. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
And you do actually write very well about it in the book. You explain very concisely what your consultant said to you about how the, the links with breast cancer have been wildly over-exaggerated, the studies misinterpreted, we're far mm. better off on balance with it than without it. Yeah. Um, so you had to sort of done your research there yeah. as well. Well, the doctor that writes in my book is that lady. Is she? The lady that I spoke about. Basically, I thought, mm. I don't want to... I want to talk about my experiences from a a, yes, a, a woman's perspective yeah. so that it, it's relatable. Mm-hmm. But I also... It's really important to me that women have the scientific backup to, sure. to push that through. Yeah. Um, so it, to me, it was a no-brainer to yeah. go back to her. Brilliant. I felt that true. When I, when I wrote The Good Menopause Guide, I actually insisted with the publisher, unusually, to put all the clinical references in the back of the book mm. because I do want people... It, it's not only about educating women, but actually we have to take it upon ourselves to educate a lot of the medics yeah. and be able to say to the practice nurse or the GP or even in some cases the specialist, actually, that's not the case. If you yeah. look, these are the studies, these are the nice guidelines, this is what it says about transdermal hormones that are body identical, which are the ones that we're all using... Yeah. Which are freely available on the NHS. Yeah. It's not expensive and, and it's not complicated. And also, if you weigh up the and counterbalance the, the, the cost of antidepressants or oh, beta blockers or yeah. anything else that people completely surely it's either yeah. compatible or cheaper. Yes. So I can't genuinely yeah. cannot see what the issue is. No, I, I think it, it, it is cheaper looking at the, the cost of the drugs. And of course if you're taking beta blockers or antidepressants for a hormonal issue, they're not going to fix you anyway. No, they so, will mask and block and yeah. and then there's a, a generation of women walking around numb. Yes. Yeah. Now maybe that maybe that's the point. I mean I'm not I'm not that's a conspiracy theorist. I mean theorist there is a conspiracy all. theory, isn't there, that uh, you know, that is a way of controlling, you know, strong middle aged women. I get it potentially yeah but tell me about the endometriosis so with all this going on in your life at that time did that come back to haunt you yes massively and that that was why I had the coil right um to help with the endometriosis and did it help yes yeah it did uh I didn't again it's this is what one of the things that frustrates me incredibly just one of the very long list when it comes to either being diagnosed as being menopausal um and and doctors asking for your list of symptoms i didn't have a period the whole time i was uh, when i used the coil sure. because that can be yeah, a, a side effect will, will, of it right so when i'm being asked well I have, you're not menopausal until you've had your last period well i haven't had a period for six years so yes. how can that possibly count in my case it might <laughs> count in somebody else's case yes. but it's not going to count in my case um it did really help and then until it didn't right and uh towards the end the reason i had the hysterectomy was because of endometriosis and it's really interesting I think women in particular we are so used to living in pain that you Mm. don't you don't think about it it's just this is just what I constantly have is you live with this dull ache and then it's a sharp pain and then it's a sometimes it's a hot water bottle lying on a sofa Mm -hmm. pain Mm. Um, but really I would just knock back paracetamol and and keep busy (laughs) <laughs> because what else can you do? Yes. Um, but it got to the point where I was doubled over more than being able to, mm. to, to carry on. And uh, I thought, I need to go and get this looked at. So did you go back so, to your lady, to your lovely doctor? Um, no, I went and uh, I, I went... How did I organise this? I don't know if I just did it off my own back. But uh, I went and asked for an ultrasound mm. just to have a look at mm-hmm. the area yeah and interestingly it turned out that um uh yes you know uh the 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 endometriosis is still there i can't remember if that even came out in an ultrasound i don't know if you can see it in ultrasound but it turned out that i had problems with my kidneys so (laughs) part of the pain that i had um i didn't even know this was a thing but i have an engorged twisted kidney and the the veins running from my kidney to my bladder are varicose so that was causing part of my pain. But interestingly, it's on the same side as where my endometriosis is. So right. it was mixed up in the two. Yes. But basically, uh, what the, that consultant said, and he was a lovely man, you're getting more pain than you should right. with that. I think there's something else mm-hmm. going on. So then I went to see a gynecologist. Yeah. And a lovely man, uh, Mr. Jan. And we we decided against having a laparoscopy in the end because... 
we both knew what was in there. And we had a very long, frank discussion about was there any point in having one operation to look and go, yep, thought it was that, or just going in and dealing with it. Mm. And I said, I would much rather you just went in and dealt with it. Really? And so we talked through options, whether Mm -hmm. it was to... um, uh, You could have laser and move your sort your endometriosis out that way mm-hmm. uh, all, all sorts of things and he said I actually think that you you, you don't want any more children yeah. uh, and it would remove everything that's causing you problems right. and you're you're already starting your HRT journey so you're mm-hmm. you're you're happy to do that yeah I would recommend having a full hysterectomy so that involves taking away the uterus and the fallopian tubes everything 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 I really Gosh. am a bit devastated I don't have a flatter stomach because there's yeah. nothing in there. Do you weigh a lot less? <laughs> I would no, I don't. I, I thought, come on, I must be at least a couple of pounds. Uh, but no, yeah, I've had uh, everything. Um, what? And again, this isn't related to the menopause. So anyone hearing this, do not panic and mm. think that this will happen to you. Was as I as I put in the book, uh, they discovered actually that I one of the reasons I was in so much pain mm. uh, was I have a disease called vasculitis, oh, which. Basically, it affects your blood vessels and it can, right. it causes them to, to close. And uh, it's mainly the blood vessels to your main organs. Mm. So that was why... Bas- basically, it, having a hysterectomy could well have saved my life because sure. I didn't even know I had... Well, I'd never even yeah. heard of it. I didn't so you know might have had was. something that just shut off... You know, one night and you wouldn't be aware of it. Yeah, yeah. Did you wake up, you know, obviously after the post-operative and you have all that sort of sedation and once all that's worn off, but were you then pain-free? Did you suddenly feel completely liberated to be free of this thing that had been causing you so much grief for so many years? Or did you go into a period of mourning because you'd lost something so integral? Um, Well, I think anyone who wakes up the morning after an operation never feels liberated. You feel constipated. (laughs) (laughs) You wish you were liberated. (laughs) Um, I mean, the recovery was just as awful as you'd imagine from any major operation. And it's not just the, you know, the, 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 pain of, I'm, I'm clearly not good with anesthetic. It Mm. it clearly doesn't work for me. Um, I could never have a facelift because that's like voluntarily going yes. under the knife. I'm gonna have, they're going to have to find another way. Um, so for me, the recovery was, the, the physical recovery was as difficult as you'd imagine it, it mm. would be. All the symptoms, side effects and everything else. I was prepared for that because that, again, that's logical. Mm-hmm. Um, what I was frightened of having, and you try to prepare yourself for it, but you can't because you don't know how you're going to feel, was Mm. the mental side of Mm -hmm. having a a hysterectomy. And my biggest fear was falling off a cliff and going mad Mm. because I thought my engine's been removed. And what people maybe aren't aware of is that you just think, oh, estrogen, it's that thing that your ovaries produce and that just Mm -hmm. means, you know, you have periods and you're a lady and that's it. But estrogen is found in in all different parts of your body. Your brain, all all different areas of your body needs estrogen. And my biggest worry was once that supply had gone, Mm. and obviously you don't know what levels of HRT to take at this point. You you know Mm -hmm. you're going to have to go down a bumpy road. Yeah. Um, Was I going to go mad? So that was my biggest fear. So did you have to adjust the oestrogen? How how did you monitor it afterwards? I just had to increase it and increase it and increase it until it got to a level where I thought, okay, I feel normal. So you're using the gel still. Mm -hmm. And how Mm -hmm. many pumps do you use? Do you use it every night? I do it in the morning. Okay. And I have four. Gosh, so quite a lot. So I'm not three. 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 Okay, I'm using about one, one and a half. Wow, okay. I was on one at the very start. Yeah. And now I'm... Yeah, the reason I said four is the maximum is four. I, yeah. I, use, I use three. But I use sachets. Oh, do you? That's um, good for it's the same. It's the same yeah. thing. But for yeah. me, it's if I'm going to the gym, I don't want to take no, this big take, pump. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> oh, show me your anti-cellulite cream. It's like, actually, that's not what it is. <laughs> so, yeah, I use, I use the, little, uh, the little sachets. And, you know, you asked, did I have a period of mourning? Um, it was small, but yes. Mm. And... Though it was a very random moment when it sort of came to a came to a head, and I was sitting, I was in the kitchen, and I did all of my writing sitting on a on a sofa and and in the kitchen, and that's my favourite place to be. 
other than I have a lovely American porch. Mm. I love my porch, but it was winter, so I couldn't sit on my porch. <laughs> so I was sitting in my kitchen, I was writing, and Nick came in. And he's such a kind man. He mm. He's a very instinctively caring man. And he'd come in, and all he said was, do you want a cup of tea? And I was like, yeah, okay. And I was looking at him, making up a, a cup of tea. And there was just this overwhelming sadness that we would never have a child together. Mm that we would never know what that was like. And my experiences of having children with, with someone weren't necessarily the ones that you would aim for, let's yeah. say, put it that yeah. way. And I looked at him and I just thought, we will, ne we will never know what that feels like and I actually think we'd be really great parents. Mm. And he's busy making a cup of tea and he's got no idea. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he turned round and he looked at me, he's got very blue eyes, very, very, mm. very, very blue eyes. And I looked at him and I just said, do you think if we had a baby they would have blue eyes? Oh, and he, my goodness. He literally looked, one, like, where has that come from? Yeah. And then he looked taken aback and then his eyes filled up and then my eyes filled up and then oh. we both cried. And uh, he said, no, I think they'd be brown like yours. Oh. <laughs> and then we had a little moment and I said, do you think we'd have a boy or a girl? And he said, I'd... he has two daughters. Right. I have a, a son and a daughter and he has two daughters. And he said, I'd like to think that we'd have a son. So we cried mm. for this so you son that yes. we would never have. Yes. And we... You know, the tea went cold and, and, mm. and then we sort of pulled ourselves together and, and sort of wiped our face, had a bit of a laugh, uh, as if what we like. <laughs> and then we never really spoke about it again. But how great to have had that moment. Yeah. Actually. And that, when I, mean, I say never spoke about it again, that. it wasn't as in, we're not going to speak no, about it. No, you didn't it, need to. It had passed. Yeah. And it had yeah. passed through both of us. Mm. And actually, you're right, it was great that we had that moment. He's great. He'll cry at anything. He's... <laughs> It's just what you want. <laughs> so you've had your hysterectomy, you've you've recovered, and your HRT journey continues now. Yeah. Why did you feel the need to, to write about it? And you do write about it in such a personal way. And I have to say, for anybody who is thinking about having a hysterectomy or has had one or wants to share the experience, you know, you write that day-by-day -day account, which is, is really insightful. I mean, there's a lot of blood and scabby bits and it's you know, very honest it's, it is yeah. really quite raw which yeah. is unusual I what I did was when I when I was booking myself in for the hysterectomy I as, as you're I guess kind of gathering I'm a very practical person and mm. I thought right how can I do this in the best possible way so in the months leading up to it I massively watched what I ate and I cut out anything that was bad apart from the odd Sauvignon Blanc. Like what? So what what what, what did you classify as um, bad? Refined sugar. Sure. Uh, cut right back on caffeine. Um, I didn't cut it out completely because mm -hmm. I, I thought I don't want to be monastic about it uh, and I need to be realistic. So uh, And I looked at what foods were good for hormonal balance and this sort of thing. So there was a lot of pulses and lentils and oily fish and, and all, all the things that we yeah. deep down know we should be eating. Yeah. Um, and I made sure my diet was really strong in that. So that by the time I it happened, I had already started that journey. I thought there's no point waiting until I finish because then you mm. it's a standing start. Um, so I'd I'd kind of already sort of made all that all that preparation. What I then decided was I need to feel a bit like me. So every day I got up, had a had a very slow shower, very careful shower, <laughs> a bit ginger, very ginger, mm. and then put some comfy but nice clothes on mm -hmm. I thought I don't want to look too you know like I've totally given up and I put some makeup on mm -hmm. only a little bit but just enough so that I didn't scare myself when I look in the mirror because none of us look at our best when you you mm -hmm. know well maybe some people are blessed I'm not blessed I look way better with makeup on <laughs> um just so that because even that bit, you, you nip to the loo and you're washing your hands and you look up and see yourself in the mirror. Yeah, you see you this sight of pale, shadowy-eyed face. It, you feel mm. worse. Mm. So I thought, I want to at least make myself feel better. I did that every morning and then I started writing. And every day I got my laptop out and I wrote and wrote and wrote. And I wrote every... I mean, the book hasn't got everything in terms of... There was a lot of moaning. Right. <laughs> well, it's a lot of nitty-gritty, though, yes. which is, is very real. And you and can tell because you're writing it in real time. I wrote it as a... That bit, I wanted, and I said to the publishers, I want to keep it as a diary. I could do a general mm. overseas, mm -hmm. but 
for me, I had started a, a conversation on Facebook and Twitter with, oh, I've, I've missed a big bit out, actually. Why did I start the conversation on Twitter? When it was announced on Lucy Min that mm. I was having a hysterectomy, 10,000 women got in touch with me. Within about 48 hours, it was like a tsunami of women desperate to know, oh, my God, what, why are you having it? What are you doing? I'm having one soon. Mm-hmm. Can I follow what you do? And all this sort, right. of, this sort of thing. So one of the reasons I was writing was for myself, but also for to share for, for them mm-hmm. to share. Um, but then I'd also log on to Facebook and I started answering people and chatting about mm. where I was right now and all this yeah. sort of stuff. So for me, one, I never wanted to admit that I was having hysterectomy. Mm. It was nobody else's business and I didn't want people to think I was old. Uh, this is the thing, isn't it? The minute you mention menopause, it's like, oh, old lady. Old lady thing. You and know, it, irrelevant, irrational, not able to cope. Yeah. Or, so as the deputy governor of the Bank of England said, past its usefulness. You know, that was how he described the British economy a few months ago. It was menopausal. It's past no, its did he really? I did not yes, hear he did. that. <gasps> how My goodness, he's I'm walking the streets. I, I must know. have been out of the country or under a stone when he said that, because that yeah. to describe it as past its usefulness, mm. i.e., menopausal. Yeah, that is just yes. beyond shocking. Not working anymore. It's useless. Yes. So, for me, <laughs> right. okay. I didn't want to be associated with, no. with that. No, especially when you're in the media mentality. and you've, you're yeah. always aware of somebody, you know, younger, fresher, brighter, coming up behind, desperate All to of step that. into your shoes. All of that. Mm. Um, but then I realised, when I, when I looked at all these incredible women who were getting in touch mm. with me, I realised I am looking at this all wrong. And actually... Who am I to go, I'm not going to talk about this because I might lose my job. Then you're part of I'm the a, conspiracy then, aren't you, the silence? 100%. Mm. So I flipped it yeah. on its head and yeah, I thought, same. not only am I going to engage with these women who really, really just need some help and someone mm-hmm. to ask for advice, but I, I want to lead them, I want to yeah. help them. Yeah. So while I was at home and, and, and writing always in the back of my mind was this is what I'm going through right now so this is a bit I'm going to write right now and then I'm going to work around it and put a book together around mm-hmm. this because mm-hmm. this is this is not good enough no and no the misinformation that continues to be out there yeah. the mythology and the lack of education and actually let's be fair it's not often the GP's fault they're simply not taught they're not trained and mm. therefore their default position is always oh no let's best not do that because it might not be safe yeah and that's why i love people like dr louise newson and other medics working in that field because not only do they treat women and patients but they're also out there educating doctors and that is beginning the word is beginning to spread so many friends of mine now go to the doctors armed with way more knowledge than the poor doctor has on the subject well i in when um the book was about to be published i went to see a a different gp I'm, i'm very lucky actually i have a good gp surgery in this there's various different doctors in there, so uh, but m- most I try and see a female doctor just because mm-hmm. that's what I prefer, and they're great actually. And there was one doctor in particular I was I was chatting to. Actually, it was about anxiety. I was mm. really really struggling with anxiety, and uh, I I mentioned she knew I was on HRT and I'd had a hysterectomy and all this sort of stuff. And I told her I was writing a book. And she literally, she put her hands in the air. She said, I need a copy of this. And I need it not only to give to the other GPs here, but I need to recommend it to the patients that come Mm. in. Just Mm. to be able to go, read that. And and then come back and have a think about Mm. what it is you need and and come back. So, yes, the fact that... Mm. Now, doctors and, are and, and of course, it's not so just important. HRT. We should say, you know, there are women who are unable or still unwilling to take it. And you do cover diet. We've talked about yes. CBT, complementary therapies. Yes, yeah. How do you also support your anxiety now? How do you get best help for that alongside your hormones? Um, I've realised now that anxiety is something that I know it's a bit of a buzzword and everyone's, you know, kind of, oh, my God, the whole world is anxious. Uh, I genuinely think the whole world is anxious. Mm. Um, I was born like this. And I think a lot of it comes from uh, wanting to do everything right and please everybody Mm -hmm. and be a really good girl. And I mentally go into a bit of a tailspin when I feel like I'm not getting it right and I'm not colouring in the lines properly. And I think it comes from that. But how it's manifested itself now I've got older and I'm I'm not quite so bothered about colouring in the lines. I still like colouring in the lines. Mm. Um, is that 
I, it, it feels like I short circuit and I can get anxious about everything. Everything gets too big for me. It's mm -hmm. all it's all too big and I can't cope. But because I try and swallow it and push it down, actually I make it way worse. So I've realised that two things, well actually not two things, actually there's a lot of things that help. But in the immediate um, moment that it's happening, I get out of the house and go for a walk. Just doesn't matter what the weather is get out and, and mm. go for a walk and it works you you put one yes. foot in front of it sounds the other. really simple but it, it does actually yeah. physically work and if you it? have a dog get the, the dog Great. loves you when you're anxious because you're you're walking <laughs> you're always out there um and also you don't look quite so strange because you're walking in the rain or, or yeah. whatever um that would be my first thing mm. again i know that's not always easy you've got the sure. the, the kids can't that you can't leave or, and, yeah. and i fully or appreciate work. if that mm -hmm. doesn't work uh, right away um, even taking a few deep breaths mm. in, in that SOS moment. Yes. Um, we don't breathe enough. We breathe mm. from our, the, the top of our diaphragm and we shallow. take shallow little breaths and we don't get enough air in. And actually sometimes maybe this start of what feels like a panic, a panic attack is actually, we're not, we don't have enough air. That's all it is. Yeah. Just breathe for a second. Yeah. And what I sometimes do is, you know, luckily my kids are a little bit older now, so I can walk the dog if I need to but when they were younger I would lock myself in the bathroom because it's the only blooming place I could get any peace and quiet mm. and even if I just ran the shower and I'd, I'd sit on the bathroom floor yeah. and just breathe and some then somebody introduced me to uh, uh, various meditating apps that you can mm -hmm. use they're amazing I really? mean there are so many out there that you can choose yes. from I, I use a selection of yeah. them uh, you put your headphones in even if it's Five minutes it makes all the difference that's all fantastic difference. resource fantastic. And, you, and it's there it's yes. right there and even if the kids are banging on the door and i'm sitting on the floor See, cross -legged, I just need five minutes and i just go <laughs> in a minute and and you don't have to go um there's no noises yes um so what i do is i meditate every day mm. and uh people think that you have to sit cross-legged burn incense and chant you can do that if you want to but the kind that I do, I do it on the train. I do it mm. on my way into work. Yeah. The train, if you're, if you're a commuter listening to this, honest to God, meditating on the early morning commute is so easy because everyone just thinks you're asleep <laughs> and nobody bothers you. <laughs> yes. I mean, I wouldn't recommend doing it standing up because you might fall over. But yes. for, for anyone seat, that then. has seen me in the morning, I'm not uh, sleeping. I'm, I'm listening to an app and I'm meditating. Yeah. But because you're on a train, it's going in one line. It just kind of jiggles a little bit. Yes. OK, you can hear the announcements, but you kind of block them out. By mm. the time you get to where you're going, mm. you're so much calmer. Fantastic. And you step off the other end. Everyone else is so angry. And your base level is so much lower than everyone else's. And prepared for the day. Yeah, yeah. It's a wonderful, wonderful tool. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I've waffled on a lot. No, you, it, it, we, we, we could have continued, but thank you. And I have to say, Confessions of a Menopausal Woman is a really good read. So thank you so much thank for Thank you being for having me. That is all we have time for today. But as always, you'll find details of the resources and the links that we've mentioned in today's show over on lizardwellbeing.com, where you can also sign up to the free newsletter for recipes, well-being wisdom and behind-the-scenes treats. Maybe we'll pop a few pictures of Andrea and me there as well. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your podcast app, as this will ensure the next episode gets downloaded safely without you even having to remember. And if you'd like, I'd really love it if you could find a moment to leave a review as it really genuinely helps other potential listeners to find the show and also maybe find the help they might also be in need of. So until the next time we chat, go well. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.